0: I want to welcome you here to our very first uh, Sunday night seminar of the year. We're doing four this year, October, November, January, and February on different topics we think are really practical in the life of disciples of Jesus right now in this day and age. And so we want to look at a few of them together. Tonight, of course, is following Jesus in the digital age. I was in Vancouver a few months ago with a good friend of mine, and uh, we were walking, the sun had gone down, and there were condo towers everywhere. And I just happened to glance up at one point, and I could catch a view up a number of stories up this uh, condo tower. And on every single corner unit that I could see, I could see the television on. I'm talking one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And as far up as I could see in this condo building, on that corner unit, every TV was on that evening. Just today after church. I was uh, walking my dog this afternoon in the neighborhood and uh, I walked by this little grassy area, not a park, just this little grassy area with a couple park benches there. And uh, I I glanced over and on the two benches, there was a a couple on the one bench, both of them looking down on their phones. There was a single man, just a guy on the other park bench looking down at his phone. Right beside him, there was a dad who had been pushing his son in a baby stroller, but had stopped and was looking at his phone. I went one step further, and I saw a man in a parked car looking straight down at his phone. Everybody that I could see, out of li- li- five people, they were all staring blankly down at their phones. This would have made no sense 15 years ago. Like there's, this, hasn't, this is new. This is unique. And it's very strange, and it has some real effects in real life, right? And I assume you're here tonight because you, you experienced that yourself. We live in a really unique time. Read this stat in a book just the other day that 90% of the world's data, 90% of the world's data has been created in the last two years. I'll give you an example of, of how that's possible. Every minute, 400 hours worth of YouTube videos are posted. Every minute, 400 hours of YouTube video are posted. About 320 of those hours are cat videos. <laughs> but, but 400 hours every minute are posted to YouTube. 90% of the world's data created in the last two years. This is a phenomenon. We live in the digital world age. So how do we navigate our technological moment, our digital age, as followers of Jesus who prioritize shaping our lives according to the will and ways of Jesus? How do we reclaim real life in a world of devices? What does it look like to follow Jesus in the digital age? I just want to start by making three comments. Here's the first. What's being pro- proposed tonight is meant to be a starting place for discussion. Tonight is meant to be a starting place for discussion. Now, you may have already started this discussion or done some research yourself, but, but, but this is merely for, for our group, for our church. We're, we're trying to start a discussion. We're trying to say some things tonight, not everything, but some things, and that this is a conversation that should carry on ongoing. The second comment I want to make off the top is that figuring out the proper place for technology in your life and in your family's life requires discernment. If you're looking for a simple formula tonight, I'm not even going to give you one. I'm going to give you a bunch of ideas. We're going to think through some things together, but I have no basic formula for you, and I don't think that I even am in the place that I should because I think that this requires discernment. Every person and every family is different. The third thing I want to say, first comment as we start, is I want to affirm you. I want to affirm you for being here tonight, for attending. Discernment and discussion on this critical topic is absolutely worth it because anything is better than letting technology overwhelm us, take over our lives, and stunt our growth in the ways that really matter. There have been three books that influenced a lot of what I'll say tonight. In fact, I'm going to quote them uh, a lot, um, but I'm just going to tell you right now where I got most of the thoughts for tonight, and then I won't have to quote them throughout. Um, the first book, I read this uh, at the beginning of my sabbatical, and uh, I started to, f- to uh, follow some of the practices in it. It's called The TechWise Family, written by Andy Crouch. If you don't know who Andy Crouch is, you should get to know him. He is a phenomenal author, thinker. And uh, this is a fantastic book that a lot of uh, Christian leaders are looking to. They're looking to Andy Crouch. Um, It's called uh, The TechWise Family, Everyday Steps for Putting Technology in Its Proper Place. I'd like to give this away tonight. So who may be a parent of a, a, a part of a family where you're trying to figure out what technology should look like for your family? And if you'd like this book, why don't you stand up? We'll see how many we have here trying to think this through for your family. Okay. Who thinks that they might have a birthday closest to today? What is it? October 6th. What's your birthday? Can anybody beat October 1st? Nope. Eighth? Beat you by a day. All right. There you go. It's a six, right? Yeah. Two days away. Okay, next book. Um, This is a book called Plugged In, connecting your faith with what you watch, read, and play. So who in the room is spending, not just generally speaking, but has been thinking a lot lately about what does it look like to live as a Christian? with the content I consume, the movies I watch, the television I watch, um, the social media popular, things that are popular posts. Um, and you're trying to think through those from a Christian perspective, Christian worldview, and trying to understand how should I react, how should I respond? Who, who's thinking, who's trying to think deeply about those things at present in the room? Why don't you stand up and show off to us? No. Yeah, yeah, right? Okay, who's whose birthday's closest? Yeah. Okay, we got five. Yep, stay up, stay up. Okay. Okay. July twenty-first. Okay, Mike, you win. You got to come to me, man. You got to come to me. I'm not running anymore. Okay, last book. Another influential book. for me and uh, what we'll talk about tonight Tony Ranke uh, wrote a book called 12 ways your phone is changing you um, deeply biblical book right Jesus didn't have an iPhone and yet it's beautiful how much he connects just the core of our faith, uh, our faith uh, to um, the core of our faith to, to the relationship that we have with our phone so Who's trying to figure out phone use in their life and is interested in a book? <laughs> okay, phone use right now, f- trying to figure it out. Whose birthday's closest? January. January? February? September? You win. I'll meet you halfway. I'll meet you halfway. <laughs> nice. Uh, Plugged In was by Daniel Strange. And then um, just a couple books. Uh, John Cornelson, our youth pastor, recommended a couple books I think are going to be really helpful for parents with teenagers or approaching those teen years. One is called I-Gen, like the I-Generation. I-Gen, Why Today's Super Connected Kids Are Growing Up Less Rebellious, More Tolerant, Less Happy, and Completely Unprepared for Adulthood. Gene Twenge, iGen by Gene Twenge, T-W-E-N-G-E, and the other one is by David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock, Faith for Exiles, Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in Digital Babylon. But this is John's, so I'm not giving it away. <laughs> Who wants it? <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Um, Let's take a look at some slides together and just kind of set the table here a little bit for our conversation tonight. A study was done, um, actually a study done with Barna in coordination with the Andy Crouch book that we just gave out. And so this is some of the research given for that. The results show this. What makes it more difficult to raise kids today? The top answer, 65%, technology and social media. The greatest challenge today for raising children, 65%. World more dangerous, lack of common morality, financial factors, bullying at school, all fall under technology and social media. Next slide will show an average of five hours. On average, parents say their children spend five hours using an electronic device on a typical weekday. So they're in school for five hours, but on average, they're watching five hours. If you're someone in the room and you're like, my kid doesn't watch more than an hour or doesn't watch any on weekdays, Just think about the averages then, because the average is five. Literally, some of the kids ate ten hours a day on a weekday. Um, uh, Bringing a phone or a device to the dinner table, 46% responded yes or sometimes. Um, Along with that, uh, tech disrupting the dinner table, 45% said yes or sometimes. This was a surprising one. Do you sleep with your phone next to you? The respondents, 70% of parents, other, in other words, 70% of adults, 82% of teens, and 72% of preteens. yes, go to sleep with their phone next to them. If, if, if I could give you a, 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 yay, a yay or nay or, on if you should do this, I would say to the whole room, don't do this especially for your kids. The world is in their pocket or the world is at their bedside. Uh, have a station, that kind of stuff. But I want to get you discussing. We're going to do this at a few points in the night. I want to get you discussing right off the bat. Here's the question. What are your experiences of these in your life or in your family's lives? What I just showed you as to what's, what's difficult about raising kids, that social media component, how many hours a day, and if that's a challenge in your home trying to couch that, um, bringing phones, devices to the table and then bringing them to bed. Why don't you just talk around your table about those challenges? If you're at a small table and there's space, maybe try and join another group. Okay. We'll get you discussing more and it'll, it, you'll interact with some of this stuff again in a little bit and we'll ask some other questions as we go. Just wanna set the stage a little bit in terms of health, Um, our five senses, and something called cultural imprinting for a few minutes. Um, There was a uh, Harvard uh, research paper written uh, in May of 2018 that was extremely influential. In fact, it was quoted in most of the other things I read uh, called Dopamine, Smartphones, and You. I'm going to just read to you sections of this article. I feel tremendous guilt admitted one of the former, uh, the former vice president of user growth at Facebook. I feel tremendous guilt, he said to an audience, audience of Stanford students. He went on to say, The short-term, dopamine-driven feedback loops that we have created are destroying how society works, he explained. In his talk, he highlighted something most of us know but few really appreciate, Smartphones and the social media platforms they support are turning us into bona fide addicts. While it's easy to dismiss this claim as hyperbole, platforms like Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram leverage the very same neural circuitry used by slot machines and cocaine to keep us using their products as much as possible. While there is nothing inherently addictive about smartphones themselves, the true drivers of our attachments to these devices are the hyper-social environments they provide. Thanks to the likes of Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, and others, smartphones allow us to carry immense social environments in our pockets through every waking moment of our lives. The social structures in which we thrive tend to contain about 150 individuals significantly smaller than the two billion potential connections we carry around in our pockets today. Studies are beginning to show links between smartphone usage and increased levels of anxiety and depression, poor sleep quality, and increased risk of car injury or death. Many of us wish we spent less time on our phones, but find it incredibly difficult to disconnect Why are our smartphones so hard to ignore? He goes on, dopamine is a chemical produced by our brains that plays a starring role in motivating behavior. It gets released when we take a bite of delicious food, when we have sex, after we exercise, and importantly, when we have successful social interactions. It rewards us for beneficial behaviors and motivates us to repeat them. Although not as intense as a, as a hit of cocaine, positive social stimuli will similarly result in a release of dopamine, reinforcing whatever behavior preceded it. Cognitive neuroscientists have shown that rewarding social stimuli, laughing faces, positive recognition, recognition by our peers, messages from loved ones, activate the same dopaminergic reward pathways. Smartphones have provided us with a virtually unlimited supply of social stimuli, both positive and negative. Every notification, whether it's a text message, a like on Instagram, or a Facebook notification, has the potential to be a positive social stimulus and dopamine influx. Because most social media platforms are free, they rely on revenue from advertisers to make a profit. This system works for everyone involved at first glance, but it has created an arms race for your attention and time. Ultimately, the winners of this arms race will be those who best use their product to exploit the features of the brain's reward systems. How do social media apps take advantage of this dopamine-driven learning strategy? Similar to slot machines, many apps implement a reward pattern optimized to keep you engaged as much as possible if we perceive a reward to be delivered at random and if checking for the reward comes at little cost just glancing down at our phone we end up checking habitually if you pay attention you might find yourself checking your phone at the slightest feeling of boredom purely out of habit when you first join facebook your notification center revolves around the initial set of connections you make creating crucial link between notification and social reward But as you use Facebook more and begin interacting with various groups, events, and artists, that notification center will also become more active. Facebook does this intentionally. After a while, you'll be able to open the app at any time and reasonably expect to be rewarded. Other examples highlight a more deliberate effort to monopolize your time. Consider Instagram's implementation of a variable ratio reward schedule. Instagram's notification algorithms will sometimes withhold likes on your photos to deliver them in larger bursts. So when you make your post, you may be disappointed to find less responses than you expected, only to receive them in a larger bunch later on. Your dopamine centers have been primed by these initial negative outcomes to respond robustly to the sudden influx of social appraisal. This use of variable reward schedule takes advantage of our dopamine-driven desire for social validation, and it optimizes the balance of negative and positive feedback signals until we've become habitual users. This isn't by accident. This is by design. This is what Instagram wants. Like a slot machine, you lose, you lose, you lose. (gasps) Big win or small win. Enough win to keep playing and lose and lose. And that's exactly the algorithm that Instagram is intentionally imposing. Smartphones and social media apps aren't going anywhere anytime soon. So it's up to us as the users to decide how much of our time we want to dedicate to them. And we're going to come up with some, uh, we're going to talk about some practical helps a bit later on. Let me just uh, look at a couple more with you really quickly. Not, they won't take as long as that one. Uh, on neuroscience and scientific discoveries, Kelly McSweeney wrote, This is your brain on Instagram. Effects of Social Media on the Brain. She wrote about a University of Pennsylvania study that examined how social media use causes fear of missing out, also known as FOMO, fear of missing out. In the study, one group of participants limited their time on social media to 30 minutes a day, while a control group continued to use Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram as usual. After three weeks, the participants who limited social media Said that they felt less depressed and lonely than people who had no social media limits. It was just that clear. Limit it to 30 minutes, less depressed, less feelings of loneliness. Unhindered, check whenever you want, more depressed, more lonely. Psychologist Melissa Hunt led the study. She explained using less social media than you normally would leads to significant decreases in both depression and loneliness, these effects are particularly pronounced for folks who were more depressed when they came into the study. So if you or someone in your family is actually experiencing anxiety and depression and habitually looking at social media and things like that, this is, this is a study that's been done that actually shows limit that and, and it will help, it will be a contributing factor to helping you feel better. Spending too much time on social media isn't just a bad habit. It can have real consequences, the article goes on. Science shows that we are basically carrying around little dopamine stimulators in our pockets. So it's not surprising that we const- we're constantly distracted by our phones. Just like a gambling or substance addiction, social media addiction involves broken reward pathways in our brains. Social media provides immediate rewards in the form of attention from your network for minimal effort through a quick thumb tap. Therefore, the brain rewires itself, making you desire likes, retweets, emoji applause, and so on. If we really step back and look at it, isn't it really sad? I really want a retweet or a happy emoji response to what I'm saying. What's happened to us? <laughs> Brain scans of social media addicts are similar to those of drug dependent brains. This is just a fact. Brain scans of social media addicts are similar to those of drug dependent brains. There is a clear change in the regions of the brain that control emotions, attention, and decision making. In real life, people talk about themselves 30 to 40% of the time. For me, it's more like 50, 55. Social media, though, is all about showing off your life. So people talk about themselves a whopping 80% of the time. Typically, we talk about ourselves 30 to 40% of the time. On social media, we talk about ourselves 80% of the time. When a person posts a picture and gets positive social feedback, it stimulates the brain to release dopamine, which again rewards that behavior and perpetuates the social media habit. The science is clear. Too much social media can alter our brain chemistry. I've also read that you can, if you cut the addiction, it's amazing how much your brain can recover. One more, really fast. Social media obsession and anxiety. This comes from the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. They write, do you get anxious when you cannot check your Facebook or Twitter account? Anybody relate to that? You get anxious when you cannot check your Facebook or Twitter account or Instagram? Believe it or not, that is a real disorder. Social media anxiety disorder is a mental health condition that is similar to social anxiety disorder. It seems that the more technology we acquire, the more stressed out we become. According to the experts, almost 20% of people with social media accounts cannot go more than three hours without checking them. So what is social media anxiety disorder? For those who have social media anxiety disorder, just being away from their Facebook or Twitter account for a few minutes can cause severe anxiety. Here are some of the most common symptoms of social media anxiety disorder. Let's let's hear Maybe, maybe Let's listen to this. Maybe you have it. Interrupting conversations to check your social media accounts. Just hold on a second. It's good. <laughs> this good. All right, just good. Uh, lying to others about how much time you spend on social media. How long were you on that today? Oh, like five minutes. Withdrawal from friends and family. Trying to stop or reduce your use of social media more than once before without being successful. Loss of interest in other activities. Neglecting work or school to comment on Facebook or Twitter accounts. Experiencing withdrawal symptoms when you are not able to access social media. Spending over six hours per day on social networking sites like Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Overwhelming need to share things with others on social media sites. Having your phone with you 24 hours a day to check your social media sites. Using social media more often than you planned severe nervousness or anxiety when you are not able to check your notifications, and negative impacts in your personal or professional life due to social media usage. Overall, about 30% of those who use social media spend more than 15 hours per week online. This can greatly reduce your ability to enjoy real life. It can also cost you relationships, jobs, and an education if you spend too much time online. If you are spending several hours a day on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, you are not going to have enough time to work, study, or spend time with loved ones. You may have social media, you may have social media anxiety disorder, and it can also affect your health, both physically and mentally. Um, physical symptoms are kind of like eye strain, neck pain, lower back problems. The sedentary way we sit around and talk to people on Facebook can cause things such as obesity, heart disease, nutrition problems, and so on. When it comes to mental health issues caused by social media addictions, researchers have found that using social media obsessively causes more than just anxiety. In fact, testing has found that using too much internet can cause depression, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, impulsive disorder, problems with mental functioning, paranoia, and loneliness. It is more than just the pressure of sharing things with others. It is also about how you may be... It is also about how you may be comparing your life with others you see on Facebook. Many people see that someone on Facebook who has a great job, excellent husband, and beautiful home, and they feel happy for them, but others can feel jealous, depressed, or may even feel suicidal about their own life if it is not as perfect as those they see on Facebook. Little snapshot. It, I, I'm just—I'm so struck with the rising rates, like the rapidly rising rates of anxiety and depression, and, and we just—we cannot obviously ignore the, the the massive uptick in screen time and social media use, that that has to work in tandem to some degree on those things. And so, curbing our usages of of these things uh, are obviously a critical component to to real health. And so, we'll we'll get into that a little bit more later on. You all know we have five senses. There's something unique about our eyes, though. Uh, sight is the sense that we can process the quickest and speed up. So, um, so, for example, we can sum through images really quick and passively in ways you can't with smell and taste, right? If, if you're tasting different flavors, you actually have to cleanse your palate before you can really taste and appreciate the next flavor. It takes 45 to 90 seconds to process a new smell. With hearing, have you ever tried to lift, listen to a podcast episode at two times speed? It's nearly impossible. I don't even know why that feature's there. I get nothing out of it. I heard some noise, but I received, I, I took in zero. Try and listen to music faster, like a beautiful piece of music at double speed, it's ruined. But with sight, sight is the most accelerated of the senses. You can also be very passive. You can just kind of watch that you kind of take it in. You're seeing it. You can, in, in, in a nearly comatose state, passively thumb through hundreds of images and waste piles of time. It's interesting. 2 Corinthians 3-5 to five talk a lot about the contrast between the half-reality of what we see with our eyes the half reality of what we see with our eyes and the full reality of what's now happening around us that's invisible for us. But we are absolutely addicted to the things that we see with our eyes and yet they're merely half realities. There's something that's really struck me. Uh, The term for it is cultural imprinting. Has anybody heard that term, cultural imprinting? It's used a lot in sales, uh, marketing, really advertisers know what they're doing when they use cultural imprinting. It's This this cultural product has a certain value to it, right? They're trying to sell you on this idea that if you get this thing, consume this item, um, you will be in good company. So, everybody, it gives you the sense that everybody's watching Game of Thrones. So, if I'm not watching Game of Thrones, like... I don't even know if I have anything to talk with my coworkers about. Like, I don't even know if they'll, if I'll be speaking the same language with them. If I don't watch what everybody's watching, why do we think everybody's watching it? Because cultural imprinting is happening. I'll give you a couple more examples of, of cultural imprinting. Look at the, at the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is the ultimate uh, cultural imprinting moment. Sports are being played, but esports gaming is there, right? It has a share in that, right? NFL or Madden 20 or whatever, like it's all being pushed there. Celebrities are there. They're in the private suites, and they show shots of this music- musician. And then at the halftime show, it's a really famous act, and what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to buy their album. You're supposed to listen to their music. And then it shows, the if it's on you know Fox, it shows the cast from a, a show that's on Fox, and it shows them at the game, and they're laughing, and they show a little preview of their show. And everybody knows, man, the world's watching the Super Bowl. North America's watching the Super Bowl. Everybody's going to be watching that show. I need to watch that show. And then it goes to commercials. And then you watch the commercial, and you're like, I guess I need to eat Doritos. I guess I need to drink Budweiser. That, like, that's, not, that's not wise, right? That's never a good idea. Um, I guess if I'm going to build a website, it should be GoDaddy and on and on, right? It's just like, because why? Because the cultural imprinting is everybody's watching this and these are the things that we must have. This is the vehicle. They paid a million bucks for this spot, right? Or whatever it is, $3 million for 30 seconds, whatever it is, there's that sense. The next Avengers movie comes out, you have to live under a rock to not know the newest Avengers movies coming out. You get your kids a Happy Meal, it's wrapped in the Avengers. You go in the toy aisle of the store, and the latest villain or the key character is in the new Lego, and it's the new action figure. It's what all the kids will be at Halloween. Why? Because we've been sold. Man, you have to see the Avengers. Anybody who's anybody will go. This is all cultural imprinting. You're, you do not want to be on the outside. You want to be in. You want to be a part of the culture. And you're, but you're being sold all that. And, and we just have to know, eyes wide open, we're being sold. Doesn't mean you can't go watch the Avengers movie. In fact, I think every time those superhero movies are some of my favorites for like film and theology. They're such a Christ figure, always. They're rescuing the world, and we're all like, yes. Why do we long for the world to be rescued by a savior? So is, I'm not saying no to all these things, I just want us to recognize. That cultural imprinting is selling you a worldview and attempting to guide you mindlessly, that's their attempt, mindlessly into consumerism and ideology without you even noticing. Okay. I'm going to give you uh, one opportunity, that we, uh, one kind of set of lenses that we can be wearing as we interact with culture, as we consume social media, participate in it, as we watch films, watch television, consider what we should watch, consider what we should consume. I want to give you uh, some lenses here, and then we're going to break into the discussion again. I've given you a ton on health and senses and cultural imprinting. I want to give you kind of a first... Um, set of tools to interact with that. And because the, the uh, 500th anniversary of the Reformation happened two years ago, and I think that it might be memorable if you're familiar with these, but I want to give you the five solas for, can I watch, fill in the blank, can I watch that? The five solas for, can I watch that? So, here's the first one, Scripture alone. Scripture alone declares that the Bible is our ultimate authority and that we must interpret the world through the Word. Scripture alone. We must interpret the world through the Word. This involves not just thinking about the Bible. It involves thinking biblically about everything else. The Bible has repeated structures and patterns that help us see all the world, all the time, as it really is. This is sometimes referred to as the meta narrative, the meta narrative of Scripture. It's the big picture. This is what the Bible is saying about the world. If we're not looking at the world through the Bible's story, there are plenty of other big stories ready to hoodwink us. If we don't discern, articulate, and persuade others with the Bible's blueprint for the flourishing of human life and culture, then others will, and of course, others are. Ultimately, these alternative stories, and I don't mean to be crass, but these alternative stories are hopeless. All of the alternative stories that exist are hopeless, but for Scripture alone and what it reveals about the real world. And so we're called to think biblically. Here are some questions that we can consider so you're considering watching something, consuming something. Think about Scripture alone. Try and let it draw you to questions like this. Why does everyone else seem to think this is good or important? What does that reveal about what they think is important or praiseworthy? Why do I enjoy this or, or think I would enjoy it? What does that reveal about what I think is important or praiseworthy? How does this compare to the Bible's pattern? Does Scripture agree that these things are important or praiseworthy? Or are these messages coming from an alternate big story? This isn't the only thing we should be thinking about. This is one out of the five solas, but we're supposed to kind of keep Scripture alone in our minds as one of the the helps as we discern if we should watch it. The second is grace alone. Grace alone reminds us that our acceptance before God is not based on anything we do, but what God has done in Christ. The cultural relevance of this means that our reason for watching or not watching something needs to be grace-focused. If I'm saved by grace alone, then the motive behind my cultural choice is choices is not to keep rules to somehow impress God or prove myself worthy, but to love and honor God because of what he's already done for me. A couple questions to consider as we think about that lens of grace alone. We can ask if, when considering this culture choice. My gut instinct is no. Why is that? Is that rooted in an imperative or an indicative? Right? Is it wrong or is it, dis- is it a discernment of wise or unwise? Is it possible that I am being wrong- wrongly fearful or am I seeking to enjoy living as my father's child? Now, of course, this herein lies the tension for the Christian, the delicate balance to ensure our Christian liberty doesn't become license, Well, permission to to sin or legalism, which is a focus on rule keeping. And uh, we'll talk more on this later. But that's that grace alone lens. Here's the third, faith alone. Faith alone reminds me of the means through which I am united to Christ and receive all of his benefits. It is through faith alone. Through our initial faith, we are reconciled to God and through our ongoing faith, we are sanctified by Christ's spirit so we can cultivate blamelessness, and purity of life. Far from tiptoeing around, simply trying to avoid evil, our living faith spurs us to pursue good works that spill out into our churches and communities, bringing blessings to individuals, families, and societies at large. Our good works include our cultural endeavors, which are part of the way we have dominion and fill and subdue the earth. To create rather than just consume will mean making conscious choices. There are only 24 hours in a day we will need to prioritize. Our social media habits will need to be carefully examined so we are less distracted and more disciplined in exercising our minds. What's being talked about here is a reference to the cultural mandate. In Genesis 1, 28, God tells man and woman, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. In other words, don't just make babies, do that. But not only that, make culture be culture creators. so, So part of being image bearers of God is reflecting His glory in a way that actually He's a creator. We are lesser creators. We are little creators, but we create skyscrapers, art, music. We're going to talk about that more later, but what it's getting at here in terms of faith alone, a couple of questions we can ask is, what is the payoff that you want to enjoy about this thing? Is there a way you could create culture which celebrates that good thing without the need to compromise. And another faith question is, how could you carve out time to do more culture creation? How might you encourage your brothers and sisters to do the same? Again, we're going to talk about um, the cultural mandate a little bit later. Fourth, Christ alone. Christ alone declares that salvation is achieved only by Christ's death and resurrection. He's the mediator we need between ourselves and God. We are creatures made in God's image, designed for an eternal relationship with him, and built for transcendence. Our culture will always be looking for something else. But unless the search finds its fulfillment in the Jesus Christ of the scriptures, then it remains stuck in a world of idolatry. A vague sense of transcendence, faith, spirituality, and even theism isn't enough because salvation comes through faith in Christ alone. Christ alone should remind us that the vanguard of creating culture, artists, have often been magnetically drawn to Jesus and the questions he poses to humanity concerning who he is. So anytime artists or anyone in culture explore themes of transcendence and imminence, they're really scratching after Jesus and what he has done. Anytime there are themes of sacrifice, forgiveness, and victory in every cultural manifestation, there's always a point of contact with the true Christ for us to lovingly point others to. This is absolutely true. The hard work for us as Christians is what are those points of contact to Jesus in our moment, in our age, in this technological moment. Christ alone should also act as a sobering reminder of our call to holiness. We were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. We should be rightly, rightfully fearful of ever conducting ourselves in a way that suggests our new birth doesn't matter. He suffered. He died to set us free from impurity. So this Christ alone lens kind of gives us Two different questions. The first one is, in what way does this piece of culture communicate a longing for something more? The Christ figure in an Avengers movie, for example. What's the point of contact with Christ? Another Christ alone question going on on a different angle, though, is does my attitude towards this piece of culture reflect a reverent fear towards God? Would watching it lead me to endorse or embrace or enjoy or pursue impurity? What does that say about my attitude toward Christ? And Finally, God's glory alone. God's glory alone is the glue which sticks all the solas together and sums them all up. Everything exists to display God's excellencies and to increase his fame. He glorifies himself in us and through us, his people. And it's in living for his glory that we find our great joy, greatest joy and satisfaction. So whether God is being glorified or not, is the ultimate litmus test of faithful cultural consumption, whether God is being glorified or not. Everything we do can and should be done for his glory. The five solas of, can I watch that? All right, I'm going to give you one bonus one here too. Just take what you can. I know I'm just piling on information here, but we're going to take a little um, discussion break here. In a second, but I want to give you four additional practical guides. This one is a little bit more, it is more practical. That was very theological. The five solas, okay? The pastor did that. He told you about the five solas of culture. (laughs) Here's, Here's the four practical guides. First is the internal check. Can I watch this thing? Can I consume this thing? The first is the internal check, also known as our conscience, it's our inner God given witness. In other words, if something feels wrong, if watching something feels wrong, don't watch it. Right? It's the internal check. This doesn't feel right to me. I don't, I don't want to watch this. Don't watch it. Second, the external check of Christian community. So first was the internal check of our conscience. The second is the external check of Christian community. This is Christians who know us really well and with whom we can be mutually honest and accountable. I meet with my accountability partners uh, regularly, and part of what we ask each other is, what are you watching? What are you watching alone? What are you watching with your wife? What are you watching? And so it's that external check of Christian community, those close to you that can ask you that you can be mutually accountable to and discern together, is this wise? It's the external check. Third, the body of Christ, the church. So first, the internal check of our conscience. Second, the external check of Christian community. Third, the body of Christ, the church. So where we gather uh, and are reminded of what God says is really important and praiseworthy is a key factor in all of this. The Sunday gathering, the gathering of the church family, we scatter all week long, but we gather, and when we gather, we should be reminded of what the word of God is saying. We should be reminded of what the Spirit of God is saying. We should be reminded of what's praiseworthy and what is good. It should recalibrate us every week as then we go back out into society. We try and live as faithful witnesses for Christ, faithful disciples of Jesus. And that that gathering is so critical. So the body of Christ, the church, it reminds us of what's really important, faithful and praiseworthy. And then fourth, there's circumvention. First, the internal check of our conscience. Second, the external check of Christian community. Third, the body of Christ the church. And then fourth, circumvention. In other words, ways to evade and bypass obstacles it would not be good to encounter. This can be done in the the old classic hand over the eyes. There are occasions where my wife just all of a sudden hands over the eyes. Okay, all right, hands over the eyes. There's the, the hand on the fast forward button it's actually really handy. We have a button on ours where it's like a 30-second thing, right? So we're, my wife and I are watching this show right now that will go rema- remain nameless um, because that's just always complicated, isn't it? You're going to judge me. No, it's, a, it's, it's actually a, it's a great show. The, the themes are great. The content is great. It's really well done, and it's, it's quite clean. It's quite clean, except like once every three episodes or so, there's nudity in it for... A minute or so. So literally, and it has nothing to do with the plot line, really. Okay, I can tell these two are a couple. That's great. But let's get back now to their detective work, okay? Right? And so, um, so literally, I just push, when it's like, okay, oh, they're going to his apartment, right? It's like I push 30 seconds five times. And 95% of the time, we're on to something else. 5% of the time, it's awkward and it needs a couple more pushes. But you have, like these are, so it's a circumvention, no? hand over the eyes, hand on the the fast-forward button, but also hand in technology. We're going to talk about this more a bit later, but there are things like filters. There are ways that you can watch shows where stuff's already cut out for you and all that kind of stuff, so hand in technology. Okay? I'd like for you guys to turn to people uh, around you. We're going to take 10 minutes. Give you enough time for you to talk a little bit. We, we talked about a lot there. We talked health. We talked five senses. We talked cultural imprinting. I gave you the five solas for Can I Watch That? And four practical guides. Have some chat around the table, what stood out to you. Um, here are, here's the, partic- uh, where are the questions? What do we got? Um, what sort of framework do you use now? What did you hear that's like, yeah, we do that? What stood out to you from the five solace question uh, that will help frame the content you consume? So a sense of, yeah, we're already doing that if there's anything there. And also, ah, th- that, that piece was helpful, that question, that lens. Talk about those things for about 10 minutes. Perfect. So that video starts to talk about where we're going to go next. We're going to spend a little bit of time um, just getting really basic, really practical, some helps for cutting down our screen time, and our smartphone time. Uh, and then we're going to end with uh, a few categories for putting technology in its proper place. Let's start um, with this. One study found that Canadians spent 52% of their screen time on their smartphones. And so I assume you're here because you or loved ones, family members, your kids, whatever, you'd like them to spend less time. Maybe you want to spend less time on your smartphone. How can we do that? So let's, let's look at four ways that we can build up device restraint. Here's the first one. Turn off unnecessary notifications. We don't always get into the settings, we just let our phones and tablets do whatever they do, right? So somebody in the family downloaded a game on the tablet, well, that thing wants to send you push notifications and away it goes and it's always blinging and dinging and all that kind of stuff and you always respond. You're going to respond. When your phone vibrates or dings, you're just going to grab it and you're going to look at it. So turn off unnecessary notifications. Uh, turn off social media notifications. There's been a big push tonight. You can see some of the challenges of it. doesn't mean social media is bad, but it, it can be addictive, and to spend too much time on it can lead to some negative outcomes for you in your health, your mental health, all of that. So so turning off social media notifications might help you just check it, make make a deal with yourself. Check it three times a day, check it twice a day, Check it daily, whatever it is, but turn off the notifications that will keep you coming back and back and back and back constantly every time there's one more like or one more comment. Game notifications, same thing. Uh, We have a staff calendar that I have on my phone, and different staff members will sometimes make changes en masse, like add all of the vacation dates for the entire staff for the year, and they're sitting down. And for whatever reason, my phone was set up, my watch was set up to get a notification for every calendar update. (laughs) Honestly, I was losing my mind. I was like, stop! Like, I I didn't want to see them, but it was like, boom, 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 boom. Someone named Ron might have been doing it at 10 at night once too, so anyways. (laughs) Um, So anyways, and and then Ruth... Was like, on our staff was like, "Um, you know, you can just change that, right? And she, like, very quickly was like, you just go here and, oh, my life is so much better now that, like, I'm not getting the calendar updates all the time. And we can do this with any aspect of notification in our phones, and we should. Um, Second, be aware of the flinch. Have you ever heard reference to this, the flinch? Um, So, this happens to me all the time, but I've been thinking about the flinch. A lot the last few weeks and I've been catching myself constantly. I've got my grocery cart or whatever and I get to the back of a line and there's four people in front of me and then I feel the flinch. I'll just do this. I've got a lineup, there's people in front of me, this is what I will do. You're out for coffee with a friend and your friend gets up to go to the washroom. You feel the flinch. They've just left to go to the washroom. They're coming back in two minutes. Three minutes, you could look around the beautiful space. You could look to see, make eye contact with people, see if there's anybody you know. You can just observe the sunshine that's coming through the window. No, they get up to go to the washroom, you feel the flinch, and you just go like this. Like, I started tonight by talking about just walking my dog, and all five people in one space were all on their phones looking down. Why? They felt the flinch. Go for a nice walk with my wife. Let's sit down on this bench. They both feel the flinch, and they start to just look at their phones. I'm I'm not being judgmental here because there have been times when I've done this myself, but man, that's the worst date ever, isn't it? When you see a couple in a booth, and they're just both looking at their phones. I've been there, but it's like, this is the worst. This is everything that's wrong with society in this moment. I want you to be aware of the flinch. Throughout your day, all the time, there's one moment of pause, and we want to fill it by grabbing our phone and taking a look. We don't know how to be bored anymore. We fill every second, and that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. Um, Beware of the flinch, grabbing your phone, that kind of stuff. Third, delete superfluous apps. Um, I was told by someone on our staff that the fastest fundraised Kickstarter that's I think ever happened is one for somebody making a dumb phone or whatever, like a phone that literally just, I don't even know if it texts, but it calls. It has a screen, but it's, like, it's very basic. I, I, it's somehow different than a flip phone, I guess, but it, it, it's very, very basic. I think call, text, whatever, just extremely basic, but people are craving this. Fastest Kickstarter fundraiser for this really basic phone that doesn't have any frills, that won't lead you into addiction. But what we can also do with any phone that you have is you can just delete the superfluous apps, delete a pile of games. It doesn't doesn't mean you can't play a game or two on your smartphone where you have have some free time and it's an activity you like to do, great. But don't have 19 of them and just kind of scan them and play one a little bit. Just whittle that down. You'll get less notifications. You'll focus yourself a little bit more on your phone. Don't get, you know, whatever it is, you remove maybe even some of your social media habits. There are a lot of people actually that are trying to manage seven social media accounts. They might have three Instagram accounts and four Facebook accounts, whatever it is. Seven, that's, that's like a tipping point. Is, is there's, there's a lot of damage for individuals who are trying to manage that many social media accounts, just in some of the statistics. And so by deleting some of the apps, even just get off one particular social network, focus on a different one, whatever it might be. Just delete apps that you can. The fourth thing is find things to replace device time. So I don't know what you do as at the end of the day when you're tired if you have kids the kids are finally asleep there's a, whatever it is you when working hard you sit down you have some alone time or you're with friends or you're with fan, whatever it is you sit down pull out your phone in those moments in those moments of this would be a time I typically spend on my phone just really accomplishing nothing but going on my phone, try and replace it with the book that's been in, at chapter three that's on your coffee table for a year and a half. Like, go for that book and start to read chapter four. You know, like, uh, actually, at tonight, tonight, when the kids are down or whatever, whatever the scenario is, when everybody's out of the house or when I'm alone, when I'm home from work, after dinner, I'm gonna pick up that book tonight. I'm not picking up my phone. It, so, so it's that goal of find things to replace device time. It can even be quicker moments. I've got a little bit of time here. Go into the kitchen, make a smoothie. Don't just grab your phone. Whatever it is, just find something to replace it. It can be little things in little moments, but find something to replace it. So that's a way that we can build up device restraint. Um, Also, using technology to support wise use of technology. The great thing about technology is there are some good technology that helps us curb our use of technology. We can make use of it. Here's the first way we can make use of it. We can make use of timers and parameter settings on devices. I think we have a couple screen grabs here. This is the Nintendo Switch app. So it's a phone app for the Nintendo Switch. Is that right, Jordan? Yeah. Yeah. So you can, uh, I have a friend whose kids uh, are on the Nintendo Switch and he's like, it's the greatest thing. I set it for 30 minutes and it doesn't matter what, they're, they're playing their game, it just turns off. 30 minutes. He's like, it's amazing. Like, I don't have to have any more arguments of get off the console now, get off the game. It's time, time's up. You can go in as a parent on your device. I don't, know, I'm not sure what all the gaming devices are. Nintendo Switch is one where you can actually set the timer, and it's just going to shut it down. Hopefully, it saves, you know, their progress. But uh, I'm not sure. But, but. It takes that whole argument out of it. Like, oh, no, get off! you said that you would, oh, are you still on that? It just shuts her down. Same thing on the phone. On a phone, you can go into settings and you can actually do a lot of restrictions. There can be parental parameters that you can put. If, if your child has a phone, you can do parental settings where you're limiting. You can, you can cut off the use of the internet if you want. You can cut off whatever, certain contacts from being whatever. It can just be uh, very limited. There's a ton of options for what you can do in the parental controls, um, and you can set all sorts of communication limits on those. The second category of using technology to support wise use of technology is the use of um, filters, monitors, and controls um, f- for your Wi-Fi network. This can be done through, we have this in our home, it's called Kids Wi-Fi, or it's called the Kiwi, and um, it, it just plugs into the wall, and then you connect it into uh, your wireless uh, Feed, what's that called? You're wireless, okay, sure. Right, and, and it, it connects in and so now you can connect the iPad it goes to kids Wi-Fi and those settings it, you can shut off the internet at 8pm if you want you can shut off and you, any device you have connected to it you can put uh, a number of parameters around it. You can, it, it it filters, it monitors it controls um, it limits what they can get and then it, you can also just have a window of time that the internet's available for them on their device kids Wi-Fi Disney Circle does the same thing and I was even told by someone here tonight that even when your kids are gone out uh, somewhere else to their friend's house and they have Wi-Fi there, the Disney Circle will still um, do the same thing even while your kids aren't at home where they get Wi-Fi on like an iPod Touch or whatever, iPod. Um, That Disney Circle um, does a lot of those same things and probably does it better. But I got the cheap one, Kiwi. It was like 99 bucks or something. Okay, Um, third, online accountability. Um, Covenant Eyes. I have Covenant Eyes. uh, One account for myself that's on my phone, my iPad, and my computer. It's one account. You can have a number of devices. Uh, X3 Watch does the same thing. There's a number of others out there. Um, So the wisdom in this is that it sends report to accountability people. It filters stuff. So it's actually just not going to let you get places. Um, It blocks sites. Uh, And so you can do any any number of settings. Um, to things like that, just really wise uh, to do. My kids will pick up my iPad sometimes or my phone, and uh, it's just also helpful to have it for them. It's helpful as a guard for myself. If I'm looking at something I shouldn't, it's going to be an awkward breakfast with my accountability partners. Why did you search for that? Or whatever it might be, it's just really helpful, very robust. It's, it wants to help you in your striving for purity, so online accountability would recommend that. Probably one of the best investments you could make for yourself, for your kids, that kind of thing. So I want to take a break here right now. Um, This is the third of four discussion sections here. Uh, Which, if any, of these restraints and supports do you already utilize? The second question is, which restraints and supports will you commit to start utilizing? Would like for you to maybe think about that and even start sharing that tonight. Hey, I'm going to start implementing that. So why don't you share what you've been doing around the table. We'll take more like five minutes this time. Let's go a little quicker and uh, let's chat about that. We're getting towards the end, everybody. The end is in sight. Let's power through here. We're going to close with one final section. A few categories for putting technology in its proper place, and then uh, we'll fire it back to the tables to close your, uh, with discussion one more time. Let's, uh, let's look at a few categories for putting technology in its proper place. First, technology is in its proper place when it helps us bond with the real people we have been given to love. It's out of its proper place When we end up bonding with people at a distance, like celebrities, whom we will never meet. So, who are the people, I want to hear from the room, technology is in its proper place when it helps us bond with the real people we've been given to love. Who are those people in your lives? Who are the the real people you've been given to love? Family members. What's that? Small group. Small group. Friends and you are actually hanging real, real friends, <laughs> physical friends. That sounds weird. Yep. What's that? Anybody? Love your neighbor. Besties. What's that? Support groups. Absolutely. Absolutely, family right? We've been called to attentive faithfulness of spou- to spouse, right? We've been called to raise kids in the way of Jesus. We've been called to love our neighbors. We've been called to the brother-sister relationship of the church family, right? These, these, these are relationships we've been called to be physically present in. But technology is out of its proper place when we end up bonding with people at a distance primarily. I said this earlier, um, social structures in which we thrive tend to contain about 150 individuals, So right? If you have a thousand Facebook friends, like that's awesome, but it's detrimental in one sense. And the close connections we can have, we can all only have roughly 30 close connections in our lives. So as you form new ones, you're losing other ones and that's natural. But what's unnatural is I've got a thousand friends and, right, and, and trying to manage those and Technology is in its proper place when it starts great conversation. Therefore, it's out of its proper place when it prevents us from talking with and listening to one another. Technology is out of its proper place when it prevents us from talking and listening to one another. I I found that, that, you know, it's it's really fun to go to a movie with a friend. Now, there are people out there who it's like, I love solitude and I love to go to a movie by myself. Fair. That's totally legitimate. We all have our own ways. I love going with a friend. My wife, Emily, hates movies. Like, she's like, I, I, if all movies were 55 minutes, I'd love movies. But she, she doesn't, she's like, I'm, I'm done with this now. And we're like halfway through. I'm like, should we go? Like, what? what? So I go to movies with... Friends, and I love that because we can talk about it after. Like, we can talk worldview. We can talk themes in the movie. We can talk art. Like, we can talk about what was beautiful about it. We can talk soundtrack. We, like, it's great to experience it together. C.S. Lewis said, is anything really ever truly experienced if you haven't been able to tell somebody, have somebody with you to tell you, like, to talk about it with, Right? Did you really even go to Europe if you haven't been able to come back and say, and then this, you know, and just, just had, like tell the story. That's when you've really done it. And so we have to have these kind of physical technology. Te- the technology part of it is it's in its proper place when it starts great conversations. One of my, one of my, boy, like my, my boys, one of the, the things we like to do, we like to play games, family games. And heads up we use the iPad for that, where it, you know they put it on the forehead, and if they get it right, they tip it down and it dings if they want to pass, they do that and like they had, our boys had some friends over the other day we were all playing heads up and just having a riot together in the living room, right Walker can finally read so he can play now <laughs> it's great, and it was just a blast. Were we using technology? Yeah, but we were using it together, and it was actually used for the good in our living room, for something special together. Third, technology is in its proper place when it helps us take care of the fragile bodies we inhabit. Right? You go to the hospital, man, technology is a good thing. (laughs) Technology is a good thing, and technology can be a good thing in your everyday health. I have these rings on my watch that I obsessively try and complete every day, and I actually am more physically active because of this dumb thing. Right? And and that's that that's a help. That's technology helping my fragile body. But it's out of its proper place when it promises to help us escape the limits and vulnerabilities of those bodies altogether. Right? We we can live these these like we, we can use technology in such a way that's harmful to our bodies or trying to escape them. Right? So um, Andy Crouch in his book made the suggestion that I've been following for the last number of months. He said, we wake up before our devices do and they go to bed before we do. I put my phone to bed every night. It's, it's a long tuck-in process, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but I put my phone to bed every night. It's it a good thing to do. I put it to bed downstairs in the kitchen on the counter. There's a little charging station where we keep our electronics. They don't go upstairs with us at night. We put them there and then there's still more time. I, I, I might not even go upstairs right away, but I put it in the dock. I'm doing that. And now I'm gonna move on, do a couple more things. My eyes aren't gonna see screens for the last number of minutes of my day. And I'm gonna go upstairs and I'm gonna go to bed, right? You, you know, and maybe there's some ways around this. Maybe you need it as an alarm. I just encourage you, buy a $10 alarm clock. Go old school. I know that sound is the worst sound in the world. The <clears throat> like that thing, but maybe, it, maybe it's far better for you and it will actually get you up. Instead of, I have to use my device as my alarm clock. I don't know if we do. Um, it's better to put it to bed. And here's the thing. When I get up in the morning, it's not there right beside me for me to glance at first thing. The first number of minutes, I'm not looking at technology. I'm, actually, I'm trying to have a habit of prayer in the morning. Prayer in the morning, read some scripture. Spend, I'm not even going to the charging station yet. Just have a rhythm of, God, you first. And, and then, like, I want to try and, like, support my family. I make coffee in our house. I make breakfast in the morning. Like, those are, something, those are priorities to me. I'm not going to get to the phone until later on, right? And so that's just a good habit to have. It's a way that we, it, we, it help, technology helps our fragile bodies when we can actually have that kind of a rhythm. We are designed, we see this in the Scriptures, we see this from our creating God. We're designed for a rhythm of work and rest. So one habit that Andy Crouch encourages is one hour a day. One day a week and one week a year to turn off devices and worship, fast, feast, or sorry, worship, feast. You can fast if you want. Worship, feast, play, and rest together. So, so that one hour a day, I'm not gonna it's gonna be a deviceless hour. One day a week. Man, that might be a challenge, but like one day a week, a deviceless day. One week a year. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a technology detox. I'm going to detox from this thing. Tony Ranke wrote about that. He's like, I've done this a few times now. And he said, the first day was the worst thing ever. He's like, the first day was awful because it's like an addiction. And he's like, you have to come down from it. The first day was terrible. He said, the second day was bad. The third day he felt numb. The fourth day, he's like, I feel like a real human again. And he started ramping it up. He also, uh, so he does one week a year and then at a different time he does two weeks in the year and he's like, I read books cover to cover. He's like, I have to re-teach my brain to not be distracted every five minutes. I have to get off my phone for enough time that I'm, it, I'm not looking at that this week and I'm gonna read through this book cover to cover and, and, and other things that actually I'm gonna have a focused amount of time and teach my brain again to not be distracted, distracted, distracted. And so he uses that as an encouragement. Um, I got this, uh, your social media addiction is giving you depression. Jason Zook, and this is where it's, it's a physical thing that, that can act, technology can har- harm our fragile bodies. Jason Zook started every morning by scrolling through Twitter, Instagram, Vine, his blog, and Facebook. It started to have an effect on the 33-year-old entrepreneur's mental health. The San Diego resident was stressed, distracted, and feeling like he could never fulfill the expectations he created in his digital world. He said, you start your day looking at yourself compared to other people. You feel behind, and you have other people's opinions pressed upon you before you have a chance to have your own. So he went cold turkey, going on a 30-day social media detox. It was a smart move. I, I, I referenced this already, but a recent study from the University of Pittsburgh Center for Research on Media, Technology, and Health found that using multiple social media platforms may put you at increased risk of depression and anxiety. For Zook, the break was much needed. After 30 days, he said, my head felt like it just cleared, like the fog lifted. I had all this mental space back. Fourth, technology in its proper place is in its proper place when it helps us acquire skill and mastery of domains that are the glory of human culture. This is the cultural mandate, again, I referenced in, in Genesis 1, verse 28, right? To exercise dominion over the earth, to fill it and reflect God's glory. Uh, culture creating, acquiring skill and, and mastery of domains that are the glory of human culture, right? 10,000 hours it takes of practice till you have mastery, so, so it is said, right? That's a lot of time that you have to put screens aside so that you can commit to learning the violin, to that sport, or whatever it might be. And so kind of the, these glories of human culture, sports, music, the arts, cooking, writing, architecture, even accounting. <laughs> that was for you, Betty. All right, when we let technology replace the development of skill with passive consumption, something's gone wrong. So think of these two words. Uh, of, of Let me get them of of creating or consuming these two words creating or consuming when we're constantly consuming culture with when we're giving all of our our free time to consuming culture we cannot have any part in creating culture there is a beautiful cultural mandate our meaning is found in Jesus but there's this glory of god this image of god stuff where man we find such rich depth in Building a structure that you stand back and say, like, I'm proud of that, where you invest in some area, some faculty of humanities, or whatever it might be, where you're you're proud of your contributions. There's you're you're creating culture, you're contributing to the good of society. We don't want to use all of our time consuming, we also want to use time creating. We can consume culture, we can create culture. Just want to invite the opportunity to be a part of creating more culture. We want to create more than we consume. Um, Andy Crouch had a great thing. He said, uh, the study that he did showed that 65% of families said uh, the optimal family time, or, or what's the phrasing of it, said, um, they spent most of the time as a family in the living room. 65% of respondents said the majority of our family time is spent in the living room. So here's what he suggested. This, is the, this was the practice of his family. There was no technology in the living room. The family gathers there, they remove technology from it. What's often the case? Big flat screen TV, center of the living room. They pulled all of that away. And you know what they filled it with? Culture creating items. In theirs, they had a piano. Some stringed instruments. When the kids were little, they had a painting drawing station, right? When they were older, right, there were opportunities for crafts and for, for sketching and all of that. Musical instruments. They had, um, what else did they put in there? Puzzles and games, right? Rewarding creation over consumption. If that's where the family gather, make it a creating space. Brilliant, brilliant suggestion. Fifth, technology is in its proper place when it helps us cultivate awe for the created world we are part of and responsible for stewarding. Technology is in its proper place when it helps us cultivate awe for the created world we are part of and responsible for stewarding. Right? Man, when those Planet Earth movies came out, I was those were stunning to me, stunning, just gorgeous, and they created an awe in me. Technology created an even greater awe in me for the creation of God, for the earth, for our planet. And there's been a follow-up where, I don't know if you saw it, it was a year or two ago, where it it was tragic. It showed because of global warming or whatever, all of these walruses jumping off a cliff expecting there to be water or something like that, and they were falling to their death on these rocks over and over again. But either way, both the beautiful and then the tragic, what technology did is it, it cultivated awe for the created world we're a part of and responsible for stewarding. On the other hand, it's out of place when it keeps us from engaging the wild and wonderful natural world with all our senses. My boys yesterday were at at a neighbor's place. They were playing out at the park in front of the neighbor boy's house. And one of my sons came back, and he came in the house. And it was like, the playtime was still going, but he came in, and then he wanted to go on a screen. I was like, no, you're not going on a screen. He's like, okay, fine. And he walked back out the door and kept playing. He wanted to cut off the, the, the wild and the adventurous so they could sit in the same chair that he loves to sit in and consume some stuff. We give him windows of time for that, but there's just that desire in them, and we have to want to push them back into the wild and the adventurous real world, and it's out of place when it keeps us from engaging that world with all our senses. Lastly, technology is in its proper place when we use it with intention and care. Which means technology doesn't stay in its proper place on its own. Much like children's toys, it finds its way all over the house. If we aren't intentional and careful, we'll end up with quite an extraordinary mess. Technology is in its proper place when we use it with intention and care. But, but we've given into the flinch, I think, a lot of times, haven't we? It's not intentional or we're not being careful about it. It's just every spare moment we're consuming. We're drawn to it. We're addicted to it. So there's an invitation to to treat it with care, to create boundaries um, for the good of your soul, for the good of your physical body, your mental health, for the good of the relationships around you you're really truly called to invest in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you guys into a time of discussion here where we'll, uh, I'll, final two questions. <clears throat> and if you have to scoot out and get kids at any moment, feel free to just, uh, to just go. But if you want to linger, you can uh, interact with these final questions. In which ways do you find that technology is in its proper place in your life, in your context? And in which ways do you find that technology is out of its proper place? You may have addressed some of this stuff already, but maybe just even given that lens that we just talked through. There's that. Before you discuss, I want to let you know, our next seminar is November 17th. Uh, it is uh, called LGBT, Jesus, and the Church, Practical Guidance on How to Embody the Love of Jesus Towards Sexual and Gender Minorities. Um, not only is it on November 17th, but you need to pre-register because I'm giving you pre-seminar homework. I don't want you to come if you haven't listened, read, and watched certain content. It, the seminar is not going to work um, if you don't first uh, look at some of the curated content uh, I've set aside for you. So when you register online, you will shortly thereafter be sent a link uh, where we have, um, I think, three or four mandatory items: a blog, a couple blog posts, a quick like two-minute video, but I think a. a, a two one-hour podcast episodes you can listen to on your computer or you can find on a device, whatever. Um, you can listen to one or both of those. So it's going to take a couple hours of time of, of prep content uh, before coming, and it'll just really help us util- make, maximize the time we'll have together in the room. So if you want to attend that, please register at your earliest convenience. We've got that content ready to, to send to you as well. Um, let me pray for us and then you're welcome to just discuss and summarize together and, uh, and have a great night. Jesus, we truly want to honor you with our lives and we want to think through these things well. I know I've, just, I, I've shared a pile of information tonight, but Lord, I'm, th- I'm thankful we can do it in community and we can share with each other the challenges we're facing and we can inspire each other with things that are working in our own lives and in our own homes. And we can also glean from others where there's things that we can learn. This is, like I said, a start of a conversation. It's stuff that requires discernment. Lord, I pray that you would give it to us. Each individual and family is unique um, with, with, uh, with wisdom that we need for, for our particular homes, our particular lives. Jesus, I just pray for, for freedom. Freedom from addictions that exist to technology. And God, I just pray that you would um, uh, begin to implement in in the lives of of many here uh, some of the helps that that really are out there uh, to change our habits. Jesus, we simply want to honor you. We thank you for grace. We're not perfect at any of this stuff. We fail at a lot of this stuff. Thank you for grace. We're so grateful. And Jesus, we just want to honor you, live for you in this digital age. Help us to do that. In Christ's name, amen.